This is an ABC podcast. Hi, I'm Rebecca Huntley with the History Listen. Today on the show, Mother Dance with Goering. A glimpse into the 1930s and 1940s through the fragments that remain of one woman's story. Socialite, swordswoman, actress, and the first woman to read the ABC National News. What I remember. I remember. I remember. She joined the ABC first as an actress. I remember her, of course. She was the first of the ladies allowed to perform what was then regarded as a nationally important task. I remember her being the best newsreader, male or female, Australia has ever had. I can remember. Most outstanding, Judith Horse Rogers. I can't really remember her laughing. She must have done, but she didn't laugh the way we do. I don't remember any real sense of joie de vivre. On the 6th of March 1970, Judith Hulse Rogers tripped off the median strip when crossing the highway at Chatswood in Sydney's north. She was hit by a car and died instantly. Her two daughters, Jane and Anne, were 18 and 20. Jane has spent a lot of time trying to find archival recordings of their mother. This documentary is the result of her search for a parent she never knew as an adult. Assisting with the quest is her sister Anne McCallum, her mother's friend Margaret Maxwell and actor Lynn Murphy. Numerous letters. Opening the box, the first thing I see is a photograph of you. Press clippings. It's not quite black and white and not quite sepia. You're in your mid-twenties. Dignified, serious, striking. I always remember her as rather dark, rather distinguished. She had a very elegant face. She had an aquiline nose, large brown eyes, clearly defined brows. Her hair was virtually black. She was a very vibrant, very impressive, dark beauty. Long legs. She must have been at least five foot eight. Very straight figure. She was a very good looking woman. Runner-up, 1935 Archibald Prize, portrait of Judith Hulse Rogers by Reginald Gerald Nathan. What's your first memory of Mum? I can remember being in Darling Point. It was dark. And Mum saying, come and listen to your father on the radio. And sitting and listening to Dad, who I think must have been in The Man Born to be King. He played Christ in that, didn't he? He did. I remember... Here's one of your father, Percival, looking very young and handsome as a Rhodes Scholar. And here's your mother, Mabel. You always said she was an autocrat with a volcanic temper, and she looks it. The first day I went to school, we were in the same class. She was always a rather solemn schoolgirl. We were always rather sorry for her because she was so dominated by her mother. She was a bit of a tyrant, apparently. Yes. I don't think Lady Horse Rogers was really very good for Judith. This is you with Lorraine in school uniform, as different as sisters could be. She, fair and small, 
You dark and leggy. You look about ten, so she'd be six. Judith was good at French. She had a great ear. And I think she won the French prize in her last year at school. Oh, yes. I remember that very well. And she was always very interested in English. Judith got very enthusiastic about skating and then about fencing. And I think all that helped her to become poised and have a tremendous presence when she got on the stage. And I would think she was a fairly powerful personality after she got over the lack of self-esteem that she had at school. But I can't remember anything that would have given any indication of her ability as an actress. There must have been something inside her that was quietly working away that we didn't know about. I remember finding her ice skating boots, her white boots. She never said anything. I started skating when I was 13 and loved it. She never really talked about her, her fencing. No. She encouraged you to do it, but yeah. she didn't say that she'd been the New South Wales foils champion. I remember. I remember. I remember. I have the name of a guy who keeps an archive of old radio serials and plays. Radio archives. I've had a look around here for acetate discs, mostly 78. She worked mainly for the Macquarie Network and the ABC. We don't have any of the Lux Radio Theatre. Judith Hulse Rogers in Yellow Roses, winner of the Play Goes On competition on 2GB. No, I don't think it goes back as far as. November 1939. I'm trying to find any recordings of her voice. I try to imagine you at Sydney University, taking French, Greek and Oriental studies, and at the beginning of your acting career in the Dramatic Society, Suds, where you first met Dad. As far as I know, the first one she was in was um, L'Aiglon, a marvellous production, and Judith played Fanny Estler. She took the female lead in these plays and she started to know and be admired by some of the gentlemen in the cast and that made her life more interesting. Was she surprised? I think she took it in her stride but she was always much more interested in promoting the careers of her boyfriends than of her own. I think she was always selfless. I mean with Ken, his next role was far more important than the role she happened to be playing, although it might be the leading lady. As You Like It, in 1935 she played Rosalind, and I've heard comments from people who were in that and they always raved about the wonderful Rosalind, and this is the one that I always longed to have seen. Yes, she was beautiful as Rosalind. She certainly was very impressive on the stage. Later on she was in Love for Love, marvellous Congreve comedy, as Mrs. Frail, she was an absolutely devilishly fascinating woman. <laughs> and and um, after that, I think she went to England. Well, she made that one trip to Europe. She enjoyed that trip very much. That trip was with your family and lasted three years. 
you went to the UK with lengthy stays in London and Oxford, to the United States where Percival, soon to be Sir Percival, visited several universities. And as a judge in criminal law, he was invited to the newly established FBI. And of course, you went to Germany for the Berlin Olympics. I wonder what your thoughts were the day you embarked, March the 7th, 1936, the same day Hitler's troops marched into the Rhineland, breaching the Treaty of Versailles. This morning, German troops made a formal entry into the demilitarized zone on the left bank of the Rhine. I do remember that her mother took five boxes of passion fruit onto the ship to give to the kitchens to make passion fruit ice cream for the first class passengers. And that the staff in the kitchens had never seen passion fruit before and they threw away the pulp and kept the shells, which I think is just wonderful. Willkommen in der Reichshauptstadt Berlin. Welcome to the capital of the Reich, Berlin. In 1936, the year of the Olympic Games, decorated with flags with the current pattern, black swastika, circled in white, on a red background. I can remember her talking about going to parties and things run by the Nazi elite. Nazi elite indeed. At the Ribbentrop dinner, Aunt Lorraine's memoirs note that you and your family were seated at table A with Goering, Himmler, Hess and von Blomberg. She also talked about being introduced to Herr von Ribbentrop who insulted her deeply by kissing her hand instead of kissing the air just above her hand because to kiss her hand indicated either that she was married and he knew that she wasn't or to suggest that she was no longer a virgin and put it about and she certainly didn't. His action was a deliberate insult and she had no idea why he did it. Maybe it's because she was wearing a monocle. No, oh, well, that could well have been the case. <laughs> and of course, he was so prone to the faux pas that in England, where, as you know, he was ambassador, yes. he was called von Brickendrop. Oh, yes. <laughs> a woman wearing a monocle in those days was a bit like flying the gay flag. Lorraine tells us you had a gaze that could quell and you let your monocle drop as a sign of disbelief or disapproval. She concludes the episode by writing, As far as I know, he's my only host to have been subsequently hanged. Very much Nazi Germany. And they were entertained by Goering. Yes, I believe so. Goering showed them considerable hospitality. Mum danced with him. Grandfather was there as a representative of the University of Sydney 
and he was accorded a great deal of courtesy as an important visitor from Australia. At the dinner party given by General and Mrs Goering, which Mrs Hulse Rogers described as one of the most marvellous parties she had ever seen, searchlights from the Air Force headquarters nearby outlined the house and grounds. Coloured lights in the shape of oranges, apples and other fruit hung from the trees, modelled on a village fair. She talked about going to a party held by Goebbels, which she said was the best party she'd ever been to. Dr and Mrs Goebbels gave their party on an island outside Potsdam, and a special bridge had been built from the mainland. Opera girls dressed as page boys with tall wands lined the bridge and showed guests over the island. And she said it was fabulous. It was like a fable, extraordinary. I can remember her talking about seeing Jesse Owens win the gold medal and Hitler leaving the stadium before the presentation of the medal so he wouldn't have to present a gold medal to a black man. He wasn't prepared to do that. She also said that she saw seats in parks with signage on them saying, Jews not permitted to sit here. And Mum was very disturbed by the fact that the house in which they were staying in Berlin had been confiscated from a Jewish family. Oh, yeah. And I remember her talking about driving in the suburbs of Munich in one of the government cars with a government chauffeur and a member of the German diplomatic as her guide, and being assailed by a terrible smell. And she said, what's that terrible smell? And he said, oh, don't you know, that's Dachau. Dachau already in 36? Oh, yes. And the driver, whose name was Petzold, went red to the top of his ears. But I never heard of gas chambers and crematoriums at that time. No, no. So presumably the smell was from overcrowding and dreadful sanitation. Yes. Dachau was opened in March 1933 in a ribbon-cutting ceremony and it was there as a correctional facility. It was a re-education camp, would be called now. And it was for political enemies. So a lot of social democrats and trade unionists went into Dachau. And it wasn't until after Kristallnacht, a couple of years later, that the prisoners were predominantly Jewish. That's right. Hi Jane, I've received both your voice messages. Sorry. I haven't had a chance to look further into this. I'll have a dig around this afternoon. But if I don't have any luck, I'll ask the sound curator. There may be some voice in there, but I'd say it's an extremely long shot that it would be Judith. Just here talking about sort of early days of radio and serials and things. April 1942, Judith Hulse Rogers plays Anita Harrison in the serial Big Sister to UW. That's exciting. Fingers crossed it might exist somewhere. I remember her saying that when they came back, her mother and she and her sister had over 300 pieces of luggage that they brought back. Can you even imagine that? Oh, here's one from 
Elsie Fogarty, the Central School of Speech Training and Dramatic Art Incorporated, Royal Albert Hall, Kensington. Mum, while she was in England, studied with Elsie Fogarty, who was... Oh, she was the famous speech teacher, yes. The doyen. Yes, Laurence Olivia trained with her. Great, great teacher, yes. Mum had a beautiful voice. Remember how Dad used to quote Leah? Her voice was ever soft, gentle and low. An excellent thing in woman. It was what I call a brown velvet voice. You know? A resonance thought to be rare among women. She was a person you'd listen to. Fellow Australians, it is my melancholy duty to inform you... Australia is also at war. Number of clippings from the Sydney Morning Herald, 1939. Unusual hats. Miss Judith Hulse Rogers wore a frock of Air Force Blue wool sheer with stop red buttons and a matching beret trimmed with a red feather. Full page photo. Get out and get under. You're wearing overalls and lipstick. Miss Judith Hulse Rogers, one of the Sydney girls taking the car maintenance course at Ultimo Technical College. With a wrench in your hand. Around the town play competition. Judith Hulse Rogers played the leading role as perfectly as it could be played, according to the author. Quite clearly, she loved our father early on very much. Sydney Morning Herald, Monday 23rd of February 1942. Quiet wedding. Arranged at short notice as the bridegroom was granted leave from camp, the wedding of Miss Judith Hulse Rogers to Lieutenant Kenneth Pawley was very quietly celebrated at St Mark's Church, Darling Point. I've got a couple of letters she wrote inside copies of the four quartets that she sent to Dad when he was away during 1942-43. They were love letters. When Ken went off to war, Judith joined the Australian Broadcasting Commission as an announcer and became the first woman to read the national news. April the 1st, 1942, ABC transmission log, JHR reading 10pm news to FC. She just suddenly appeared and we were all amazed and delighted. You hardly ever talked about acting or your job at the ABC. But I do remember you saying that your parents were friends of Charles Moses, managing director of the ABC for 30 years. There's no question about it. The ABC's news is completely independent in Australia and under the Act has to be. Judith's position of national newsreader in place of Heath Burdock, was a prestigious one indeed. As soon as the war got going properly, the ABC provided the news service for the whole of Australia, all the commercial stations as well. So this was a very big responsibility. This is what was so stunning. I mean, it was a surprise to hear a woman having that role on radio. The lack of authority in some women's presentation of news worried the general manager of the day and certainly the manager for New South Wales. But I think both had to accept the fact that their views were wrong when Judith Hulse Rogers came. Letter from Basil Kirk, state manager of the ABC, 1942. 42. 
to Lady Holtz Rogers. I think Judith is doing splendidly. Whilst it is true that the majority of women's voices do not broadcast satisfactorily, I am one who holds the opinion that they are, in some instances, more pleasant to listen to than men's voices. You may have heard your daughter reading the news service last night. She was excellent. Hi, Jane. Hi, Jane. Hi, Jane. There's no audio of her in the ABC database or trove. The catalogue may have gone missing. We discussed your mum at yesterday's staff meeting, but not one person held out any hope for your Just search. Just a quick look. Might need to get a curator involved. All news bulletins from the war have been dubbed and catalogued, and there is no female newsreader amongst our collection. We have found no recording of her voice in the ABC archives. Sorry. Here's one from Dad. B. Taylor Esquire. Kenneth Pawley. Australian Military Forces, 14th of September 1942. Dear Sir, there has been some discussion as to whether or not my wife should be required to sleep overnight at the ABC studios. She wrote to you explaining that she did not intend to sleep at the studios and gave, amongst other reasons, the fact that I would not allow her to do so. You inquired if she was not old enough to have a mind of her own. Whether or not this was said as a joke, I wish you to know that I consider it an impertinence directed at both Mrs. Pawley and myself, and for which I should be glad to receive your apology. Yours faithfully, K.W. Pawley, Captain. New South Wales says goodbye to Judith Holtz Rogers of the announcing staff, 3rd of April, 1943. Here's Lorraine's take on you leaving the ABC. Each day she would intone, Here is the news, read by Judith Holtz Rogers. The news was relayed to the armed forces within reception. Ken told Judith it was upsetting to hear her voice and be so far away. She relinquished the newsreader's job and gave up her identity. Best newsreader, male or female, Australia has ever had. She was prepared to give up her career for her husband at that point. Most outstanding was Judith Horse But how would she know when she married him that that's what he'd demand? I used to sit and talk to her and say, when are you going to do a play? And she said, oh... I don't know, it's a little bother now. <laughs> she said, I'm very happy just being married. And I couldn't understand it at all. I think she would have been a very fine actress if she'd been allowed or been encouraged to follow what she was good at. She gave way on all sorts of things. But had her life turned out differently, I think she could have been a much better actor than our father was. I think he was a far more flamboyant performer than mum. Uh, Dad was a show-off. Oh, he was, and he enjoyed himself immensely. Pity mum couldn't be allowed to enjoy a career too. And you say she had choices, and yes, she did, but she was bullied, just as she had been when she was a child. Oh, I'm sure she was. And when I say she had choices, there are choices that are choices on paper, but not in reality. They were different times. They were different times. A seven-inch Agfa tape labelled Christmas 1954. Christmas in there. 
So Anne's five now, and I'm three. One for Anne and one for Jane. Where are our friends? Low down, darling. Mm -hmm. On one of the lower branches there. Yeah. And look, you squeeze it open, flip it onto the branch, and you can put this one over here and I'll hold you up for a day. When did you first realise Mum was unhappy? The star will be in the middle, don't you, Pop? Oh, from very early on. Because of the way Dad behaved in the evenings and she couldn't be anything other than unhappy and occasionally you'd hear her speak back. And as I said to you earlier, I can't really remember her laughing. Please. Oh, now, Jane, you are a silly little girl, but she devoted an awful lot of time to us in all sorts of ways. Yes, she was a wonderful mother. She was a very, very affectionate mother. Rather magical. I remember the making of the toy that walked when she lost all that weight and looked very elegant. Yes, she was gorgeous. She must have been in her early 40s. I remember her then. That was one of Dad's first home movies yeah. with amazing stop-motion animation. Yes. I almost thought it was magic. Oh, indeed. Something good is sure to happen. I remember Dad saying she'd had an affair with a masseuse when she was in London. And I said, you mean a woman? And he said, yes. I have absolutely no knowledge of that. Never heard a word about it. You're kidding me. No. I just wonder if she might not have been depressed. Oh, I think that's quite probably an element. I think she absolutely was one of those victims that Betty Friedan talked about in The Feminine Mystique. If only grown-ups believed in magic too. I mean, it's easy to see in hindsight that she was clinically depressed and really yes, needed really help. Yes, really needed help. But not so easy for school kids to understand. No. You only become aware of other people when you're older. And especially parents. And we don't think about them or analyse them until long after it's possible to ask questions. Because I never knew her as adult to adult, I only knew certain aspects of her. See, I never saw Mum perform either. Isn't that sad? Mm. She read, she read to us. I particularly remember her reading Alice in Wonderland. You seem very clever at explaining words, sir. Said Alice. Would you kindly tell me the meaning of the poem called Jabberwocky? Oh, let's hear it, said Humpty Dumpty. It was brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogroves, and the moam-wraths outgrave. Oh, that's enough to begin with. Humpty Dumpty interrupted. Hi Jane, I've trawled the collection and unfortunately I can't find any record of her. That's not to say we don't have a recording of her though. I'm sure we do somewhere. I'm afraid I don't know where to go from here though. Collection reference and loans access officer. and commercial. National Film and Sound Archive of Australia. Is that all? Goodbye. Till we meet again.
Mother Dance with Goering by Jane Ullman with voices and sound engineering by Russell Stapleton. The supervising producer was Claudia Taranto. For more program details, check out the History Listen webpage. I'm Rebecca Huntley. Thanks so much for your company and see you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.